thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. We've always taken mums the word to mean keeping things to ourselves. Well, this is no longer the case as we provide mums with the natural, honest, and reliable resources they need from experts and other mums to keep their families happy, healthy, and safe. Be prepared to use your passion for parenting to empower yourself with the knowledge of choice. Welcome to Mums the Word with your host, mum and chiropractor, Kaz Jaff. This is Kaz Jaff and I'm so excited to share with you this episode. I've been um, busting to share it actually and I'm just so excited to introduce this guest. Uh, It's Amanda Burley and she's been um, in midwifery practice for over 27 years and although most of her practice has been in Leeds in the UK, she also worked as a midwife in New Zealand experiencing a very different model of midwifery care. Over 10 years ago, Amanda began to challenge the practice of immediate cord clamping after realizing that this common routine practice had absolutely no evidence base and deprived babies of valuable stem cell enriched full blood. Amanda has campaigned for a change in practice from immediate cord clamping to delayed cord clamping and has seen all national and international guidelines change their guidance to recommend this. Amazing. Amanda is a co-inventor also of the award-winning basic uh, Lifestart Trolley, which enables vulnerable babies to be ventilated whilst the umbilical cord is kept intact to ensure that they receive their full blood benefit. Amanda has written many articles and talked at numerous events about optimal cord clamping and changing practice and fully harnessed the power of social media by participating in an international network of midwives, doctors, birth workers and parents who share and disseminate the latest in research and education regarding optimal cord clamping. Amanda has been nominated and won several awards for her work in this area, including Midwife of the Year last year, 2015, British Journal of Midwifery and Midwife of the Year 2012, Yorkshire Evening Post um, awards that. She works with and supports midwives in other countries to enable them to give informed choice and practical guidance in optimal clamping. So you can understand why I'm super excited to introduce you to her. And um, when she said yes to this podcast, I was just um, thrilled. So here she is, Amanda Burley. Amanda, I've already told our listeners all about you. I'm so excited to have this, um, this episode with you. I've been looking forward to it for a while. Um, please share with the listeners all about yourself. Hi, Kaz. Um, really nice to uh, talk to you, and thanks ever so much for inviting me onto the uh, the show, uh, so I can talk to your listeners about um, my passion for delay core clamping. Um, I'm a midwife. I've uh, been a midwife 28 years. Uh, before that, I was a general nurse, um, and I trained in Leeds, which is in the UK. And I've had I'm fortunate enough to have had a really good training. Um, my big passion is midwifery. Um, and I started in these 28 years. I have worked a little bit in New Zealand. Um, I did that in 2003, but then came back to the UK. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about you personally. I know you're a mum. What what got you into the work that you're doing? We want to dig a little bit deeper. Okay. Yeah, I am a mum. I've got two boys. I've got Sam and Max. Uh, Sam's 22 and Max is almost 19 now. And I had them in 19, um, 1994 and 1997. Um both children have uh, ADHD, which is really common, um, and it also runs in our family. Um, and so it wasn't too much of a surprise. But it put me in touch with teachers in primary schools um, because obviously they had they had um, more needs than other children. And it was the teachers that had been qualified for a long time that started asking me questions about why so many children seem to have so many more children seem to have problems such as behavioural difficulties, learning problems. But not just that, but there was more children with asthma, with allergies, diabetes, um, autistic spectrum disorders. And 
it started me looking because I'd also observed that in my own friends' children, particularly in boys, and also with the midwives. Um, for example, there were six job shares. We shared three jobs between us, and we had 14 children. Eight of the children were boys, and six of them had learning problems, and only one of those problems could be identified by a chromosomal disorder. So I started looking really for a needle in a haystack, and it was a very informal sort of research um, looking to see whether any of us had, um, whether it was to do with caffeine um, or sugar ingestion or whether anybody drunk in pregnancy or smoked or any wacky-backy or whether there was chemicals in the fields because I live in a very rural area, whether there was chemicals on the fields or whether there was lead in the water pipes. And I couldn't come up with anything. And this was over a number of years, but I, I have quite a forensic mind and I kept looking for stuff. And then one night I watched a programme on TV, well, it was a film called Ovira Drake, which was an English film, and it was in about an abortionist in the 60s, and she was a really nice little old lady, well, she wasn't little, she was married with two children, who did this uh, act for women who she thought that was, got into trouble, and she thought she was um, being kind, but she had no idea that what she was doing, which wasn't for monetary gain or anything, actually had consequences, and the consequences after she left those women were actually as bad as death and severe infection. And she was caught and imprisoned. But while she was in prison, two other women came up and said, oh, did your women die? Um, and she looked at them and said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, we do the same as you and two of our women died. And it was a light bulb moment in her when she, she you saw the light bulb moment where she realized that actually what she'd been doing uh, had consequences that she didn't know about. And for some reason, I went on holiday and I was camping in the Lake which is a beautiful area in England. Um, and I was thinking about this film, and then I suddenly reflected on my own practice as a midwife, and I'd been qualified 16 years by then, when when we deliver babies, we clamps and cut the cord as soon as the baby was out, and that's the way we were taught. Uh, and if we didn't get those clamps on quickly, we used to get into trouble, you know, you're not moving fast enough. Um, and I suddenly realised that what we were actually doing had absolutely no evidence base. Uh, I became very excited about this. I looked on the internet to see if there was any information about it and came across the work of a man called George Morley, who was a consultant obstetrician in the US. And he'd done um, research on monkeys to show that immediate core clamping caused irreparable brain damage on children um, and a hypoxia, lack of oxygen, not on children, on monkeys. Um, and he was absolutely convinced that immediate core clamping was causing the rise in autism. Uh, his work is readily available on the internet and it's very interesting if people want to look at that. His name is George Morley. So I thought, gosh, this is really serious. Um, I also came across a, a midwife uh, researcher called Judith Mercer. Uh, and I'll talk about her work in a little while. Um, and I went back to work and I said, look, you know, we're doing this with all the babies that are born. In our hospital, that's 10,000 a year. In the UK, that's 660,000 babies a year. And we're clamping and cutting the cord immediately. And... Uh, the research I'd, sh I'd read upon showed that we were depriving the baby of up to 30% of its blood volume um, with no evidence and no idea of consequences. And uh, that was in 2005. And since 2005, it's been a very, very interesting journey where I have ended up with a bit of a name for myself, not because uh, I've done anything particularly special, but I identified that we had we were practicing non-evidence-based practice um, and that over the years, there's been more and more evidence to support delaying core clamping, which isn't delaying core clamping. It's allowing the cord to uh, complete its function without intervening, without knowing the 
the consequences of intervening. And to be honest, it's not rocket science. Um, no, no. I mean, it's like, it's like you said, the, <coughs> the light bulb moment, you know? It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so where do we go from there? Um, I did go to see a pediatrician who was, uh, I wrote to a lot of people about it and I said, you know, we need to stop doing this because it's not, um, it's not evidence-based. Uh, and we, we have to practice evidence-based practice. And I thought it would be really easy. Um, I couldn't have been more wrong, really. But this pediatrician said that I had a very interesting, uh, interesting theory without any scientific evidence to back it up. Um, and I said, on the contrary, we haven't got any evidence to do, to say what we're doing. At that time, all the guidelines, national and international, recommended immediate core clamping. And the World Health Organization changed their guidance in 2007 to recommend delayed core clamping at least a minute in all babies, particularly babies of endemic anemia. Um, because um, having anemic mums um, and then having anemic babies and then removing a 30% of their blood isn't a good idea. And I don't really have to explain why not. No. Um, um, and that was the first first move towards changing practice. Um, I realised that the managers um, in the hospitals so I said, well, we've been doing this for years and it's fine the way we're doing it. And, you know, if we stop um, cutting immediately, the baby's going to get too much blood and they're going to be too jaundiced. And these are all the obstacles that people have put in their way and still do. Um, and we're still finding that now that people still believe that the baby's going to get too much blood, which is poppycock, really. That's yeah, I'm just term, actually but... hearing that and thinking, how could that possibly be? I mean, you, you overfill, yeah. overfill their circulatory system. I mean, there's only so much capacity anyway. Yeah. Um, and it, I think the, th- the thing behind it is that uh, people do not like change. They do not like somebody to say, well, actually, what we've been doing for the past 50, 60 years is not wise. Um, and they also... They, no, nobody likes to change practice. It's uh, quite an interesting phenomenon, but very well known and becoming more well known that uh, resistance to changing practice is very, very hard to overcome. Um, and my journey has proved that, which I'll talk a bit more about. Um, I had a letter published, publicised um, and I went into community in our hospital. I went, I went from being a hospital midwife on the postnatal ward where the damage had been done to working in community where I inform parents, I give informed choice to parents. And I think that's a big thing behind here, is that we're actually um, doing intervention without any evidence, but we're doing that and we're not informing parents. And that is global. It's a global problem. And I know Australia has a long way to go because you've got some really good midwives and, and other birth workers fighting this cause as well, um, who, if anybody in Australia wants to be in contact with them, I can put them in contact with them. Um, and... It's just been really difficult to get that change. The World Health, Health Organization recognized it first, and then in the UK, the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists changed in 2009. Um, and then in 2012, the Royal College of Midwives, who are the biggest professional body of midwives in, in the world, wrote new guidance to recommend that delayed core clumping was actually best practice. And instead of giving it one minute, two minutes, three minutes, they just said that it was best practice and that midwives should be competent in both active management of the third stage, which is where you give an oxytocic drug, and physiological third stage, where you don't give um, an oxytocic drug and everything's natural. And that was really good because the majority of deliveries in the UK are delivered by active management, and that is slowly changing. Because if somebody's had a normal delivery, a normal birth, um, with no intervention, there's no indication really to go in at the end and do that, um, to give an oxytocic drug. 
The reason that immediate core clamping did come in in uh, 50, 60 years ago was with the advent of an oxytocic drug. One of the biggest deaths in um, maternity was because of obstetric hemorrhage. Um, and it's still a killer, but it was a lot more prevalent then because it was home deliveries and a lot of the deaths were happening at home. So they brought in the oxytocic drug and that's an injection given straight after the baby's born or as the baby's been born. And then the percentage is delivered within five minutes, but the cord is prompt and cut immediately. And unfortunately, at the time they brought it in, it definitely, definitely saves women and it does prevent hemorrhage, but nobody give any consideration towards what would happen by immediately clamping the baby's cord. And that was no thought at all. It just wasn't taken into consideration. Um, over the years, it, it, you know, they've realised there's been a lot of research done recently and it shows that you can have the oxytocic drug and you can delay cord clamping so that the baby gets the full amount of their, uh, well, they get the full, um, full blood benefit, um, with practice. Um, and now the latest recommendations in the UK with the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, which is a nice guidance, who brought in a year ago to say that all babies should have delay cord clamping of at least one minute. I did find it was nice because they, the evidence was out there before and um, I did communicate them for quite a few years to say that they should bring, bring the um, changing evidence, the changing guidance forward. But they disagreed because they said that all women get informed choice. Well, I know that's not true. Um, and I know that in the UK, the women don't get informed choice. It's about the women and the pet and the fathers have been massively instrumental in changing practice because it's their demand for delay cord clamping that has been the biggest mover in in changing practice. And that's how I eventually moved from trying to educate the professionals to educating parents. And that's why I've got my Facebook page. I set up a petition against NICE, um, which was signed by 5,500 people in 44 different countries to say, would they change their guidance? Because unfortunately, even though we're autonomous practitioners and we're supposed to do evidence-based practice, most people need permission. And the permission comes in the form of a guideline and the permission um, is in the form of a national guideline. And also globally, people look towards the UK for their guidance. So NICE were a big sticking point for me. And then hallelujah, in December, they do recommend um, that all babies get a minute. Even so, we still have pockets in the UK that are still doing immediate core clamping. So all parents need to be educated on this and they need informed choice um, and they need to read up and research everything they can about delivery. Um, I know that in 2010 I did a that showed that 8% of the women who asked for delay core clamping were either ignored or talked out of it because they said it was dangerous um, and they were completely ignored. So that was only 8% of my women, or not my women, the women. Um, wow. Now, in our hospital in Leeds now, you will find that 100% of the women now will, on parents, will get delay core clamping. Uh, and they don't have to ask for it. Um, I still would ask for it um, because it is very, um, very well embedded in our hospital now, um, and that's really good news. But there's still pockets in the in the UK who will be doing immediate core clumping, um, and we're on a drive to change that by continually educating. Um, and this has risen over the years to um, involve a global network. You know, I work with midwives in Australia, in Norway. Sweden, um, South Africa, Tunisia, Israel, and we have people writing to us, um, and we join forces, we support each other because, because of the resistance in practice, we all get a lot of stick. Um, you know, we're seen as maverick midwives and we're not really, um, 
it's evidence-based, you know, the evidence is there. I will talk a bit about the evidence because I think that's, you know, that's the driving factor. But um, like I said before, there's no evidence to support immediate core clamping. The evidence that is there to support <clears throat> optimal core clamping or leaving the cord until it's finished its job is that the baby, um, it gets its full blood benefit, which is 30% more blood than it, w- it would do if it had immediate core clamping. They have decreased anemia. Um, Ola Anderson is a Swedish paediatrician who's done a lot of research around this and he continues to do a lot of research. He's been fundamental in changing practice. But he did a study in 2011 that showed that babies that had immediate core clamping are more likely to be anemic. Um, and at four months, they'll be anemic at four months of age and they have depleted iron stores. It's iron deficiency anemia. His further research showed that a year that these babies rectified their iron stores but his other research that he did in um, April or May this year, 2000, well, 2015, showed that the boys particularly that had immediate core clamping had decreased fine motor skills and behavioural problems. Um, and that research is ongoing. He's also doing research now in Nepal um, and he's very passionate about changing practice. So it'd be interesting to see what the results are. What was know, his name again? Ola Anderson. It's O-L-A. And it's Anderson with two S's. Okay, I'm um, just going to put it in the show notes, that's all, and try and find that research as well. Yeah, he's it's, it's done, it's done quite a lot. He's done them on PPH as well. Because um, the PPH, he, he did a study this year because another thing that uh, one of the obstacles is that people say that women will have more PPHs, but the evidence is not bearing that out. Um, that babies get more jaundice, but again, the evidence is not bearing that out. And that um, doctors don't like to do delay core clamping because they want blood gases um, if a baby's a bit compromised. Or sometimes not in all deliveries. Sometimes the doctors want um, blood gases. And it's perfectly acceptable to do a blood gas on a cord that's still pulsating. It can't be used as an excuse to clamp and cut that cord early. Um, in the oh, UK, the only news. reason... That's good news Sorry. that they can do it. They can do it yeah, regardless. They yeah, they can. Yeah, they can. Um the only, the only, um, in the UK, they say that if a baby's pulse rate is, um, or heartbeat is less than 60 beats per minute and not getting faster, that's when you should do immediate core pumping. But then I'll go on to talk about, um, in 2010, we have a, a consultant in England called David Hutchin, and he has done loads of work on delay core clamping, and he convened a meeting of, uh, myself and, well, there were seven consultants and myself, because we realised that one of the biggest obstacles, um, to implement an optimal core clamping in all babies was going to be compromised babies and premature babies that needed resuscitating. And we knew that, you know, that babies, that those babies are delivered and they clamp and cut the cord immediately and take them over to a resuscitator in the corner of the room or sometimes in a different room. Um, but these are the babies that benefit more from delayed core clamping. In little tiny premature babies, immediate core clamping can deprive the baby of 50% of the blood volume, which, and it, the research has shown that babies that have immediate core clamping, or rather, Babies that have delayed core clamping have less intraventricular hemorrhages, uh, which can lead to cerebral palsy. They have less necrotizing intercolitis, which is a good problem. They have less sepsis. They have less blood transfusions. They have less anemia. But these are, and still are, the babies that are more likely to get immediate core clamping. And between us, we developed um, a trolley called the Basics Trolley, which is a mini resuscitator that can actually be brought to the bedside and be... Um, used in any instrumental delivery or cesarean section to, to be used so that the cord can remain intact whilst the baby's being resuscitated. And those are in production now called the Lifestyle 
um, lifestyle trolleys. I have no financial interest in it whatsoever. We designed this trolley and um, our, our aim is for everybody to use them so that all these babies get delay call clumping. Um, and there's been a big study done in San Diego which shows that these trolleys have actually saved babies' lives. Um, and they, it's the ba- that these babies are the ones that really, really need their cold blood out of all of them. For sure, but the ones, yeah. They're, they're the ones at the moment that are more likely to um, get immediate cold clumping. Um, so hopefully that will change. Well, don't they the say thing- that this a new idea is first, you know, opposed and ridiculed and, and I can't remember the way the saying goes and then it becomes normal. It sounds like you're sort of on the verge of things becoming normal now, which it is, is great. Yeah. 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 yeah they say that it's like doing a silly dance. You stand up and do a silly dance and everyone looks at you and say you're completely bonkers. <laughs> and then uh, another couple of people will get up and do the same. And then, and then, and then, and then at the end they'll say, um, well, we've always done it that way. We've never done it the other way, which is, we're not quite there yet. But I have, I have, I have had people who have, um, said, oh, well, I've always delayed call clumping when you know that that's not true, but we're not going to say where. And would you say the I, rise in sort of mums, I guess, you know, I guess in birth plans? I mean, I don't think that was something that people were doing 10, 15 years ago, writing birth plans. And um, obviously there, there's more uh, doulas around and people, yeah, educating themselves and coming prepared to a birth with a plan, requesting. Um, would you say that's played a role as well? I do, yeah. I think it's really, really important. I think um, parents really have to educate themselves. And, you know, historically, we've always assumed that professionals are going to know best. And I've had a consultant say that. He said, well, we know best. And I said, well, we don't in this case. We've been doing something for 50, 60 years, which hasn't got any evidence. And we don't actually know the effects or the long-term effects of immediate comp in the cord. Like I said, you know, Ulla Anderson's done that evidence um, that shows that Boys of four have got decreased fine motor skills and behavioural difficulties. Um, yeah, and that's just and, recent study. <clears throat> and if that's your child, you're not going to be very pleased about that. And I know that I've had women who have found about this with their third and fourth pregnancy and have said, I've been really cross that this hasn't been offered to them in the first and second, or that there's been an intervention done without their knowledge. Um, we're on quite a tricky wicket, really. And this is why... I do do the talks and why I do educate people as much as possible because this has to come from the parents. I did have a couple, it was about five years ago they had a baby and their husband actually had to put his hands over the cord to stop the midwife cutting it uh, because we don't do that here. Um, he went back three years later for another child and there were no problem. They said, oh, that's fine, we, we delay core pumping normal babies. It just shows how quickly practice can change. Um, but this is, you know, for parents, this is their baby. Um and people may say that immediate core company doesn't cause any problem, but one of the consultants I work with, Andrew Weeks, who was involved in doing the trolley, said, okay, you know, we'll delay core clumping, um, we'll give the baby all its blood volume, and then 24 hours later we'll take 30% of your blood vol- baby's blood off. It wouldn't be allowed, you know, blood transfusions in children are illegal. Um, why is it any different for a fetus? So my aim is to educate parents so that they can see that this is best and if they go into a hospital where they are still doing immediate core clump and they can say actually no and they've got the evidence there to prove it um, or to back them up because uh, they will get resistance. Delayed core clumping is, is um, it's achievable in all deliveries, you know, cesarean sections because quite often the consultants will say no, not in cesarean sections. But the UK now, and that's going to be standard practice as well, where you've got an elective section 
Um, the doctors are quite happy to have a little chat for a couple of minutes whilst the baby's receiving its full blood volume. And that only has to happen once. Usually against resistance, the doctor will say, well, we don't do that. And then the parents will insist. And then they'll watch this happen and they'll see this baby pink up on its own and the cord finish doing its job. And that practice will have changed for everybody in that room. Um, oh, you know, and so the parents, are, the parents that ask for this and fight for this are actually pioneers in their own right. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I'm getting tingles as you say it. Um, what, what, just to sort of give the listeners some, um, information. I mean, we've got the idea that you would wait a minute. You've got the idea that you would wait till it stops pulsing. You've got the idea that it would be till it's white. What, what can you share a little bit about that for the listeners? Yeah. Um, like what's optimal? Diane, optimal, right. Well, Diane Farrow is another, she, she's a midwife that works in Bradford and Leeds and they did um, a study in 2010 that showed if you delay clamping for five minutes in a baby, they weighed the babies and in over five minutes, the baby's gained um, up to 214 grams. I don't know whether you use grams in Australia or we whether do, it's ounces. We do, we do. Yeah. Well, in England, it's sometimes ounces. That's oh, ounces. yes, That's... no. Yeah, well, we understand grams. Not with birth, yeah. though. For some reason, we, we, we work with uh, grams and kilograms, and as soon as we weigh a baby, we do pounds and ounces. It's very interesting. Yeah. Well, so 214 grams is seven, isn't it? Seven ounces, which is phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. And... Um, if you look at Diane Farrow's research, they have a little chart that shows the, uh, trans- the transfusion of blood to the baby. And the baby has received majority of the blood by about two minutes. So um, that's what initially we were aiming for. Well, initially I would have liked five minutes when I first started in 2005, but that was a bit off the uh, wall really. So then we started talking about two minutes and many hospitals changed their policies to two minutes. Um, the guidelines all say one minute. But optimal core clamping is actually when the baby, um, the core comes out, it's, comp- it's continuing to pulsate, the baby takes its breath and it has a transition <clears throat> to life outside the uterus. And when this is all done, the cord will stop doing its job, the blood will, the blood that the baby needs will pass across to the baby and the cord becomes white and floppy and empty. And theoretically you could cut the cord without using a clamp, but they wouldn't, wouldn't recommend that. Uh, and that's a new, it's a new, um, campaign that we're trying to get out that's called Wait for White. It's hashtag Wait for White because it's a visual display or a visual um, description of the cord when it's the optimal cord clamping has finished. You know, the, the cord has finished its job. There's been no interruption. Um, and that should be that should be okay in the majority of cases. Some cases, obviously, you know, you do need intervention, you know, it, with a prem baby or a baby that needs resuscitation, they're not going to be wanting to wait five minutes um but like I say, most of the transfusion has gone over by two minutes or by a minute. And in premature babies, even up to a minute, you know, 30 seconds to a minute is better than immediate core clamping. Um, so every case is individual. I would like to see, you know, um, 75, 75% of babies are normal vaginal deliveries. Um, and so 75% of weight for white <clears throat> is achievable, you know, um, and that would be really nice to see. Um Definitely. And it's good for the parents to see that. You know, the parents can see that the baby's delivered, um, it's constant skin, the cord's finished its job, breastfeeding. The first hour, if a baby can get optimal cord clumping, skin to skin, breastfeeding or feeding the choice, you know, you can never give that baby that hour again. Um, and that's what I would recommend. Oh, it's so yeah. true. It's so true. And we just, we, we, we did touch in the pre-chat a little bit about the, um, the, 
um, I've gone blank. The the cord. Um, cord donation. Yes, yes. Thank you. Cobbler donation. Yes. Yeah, cobbler cobbler donation is a bit of a, a bone of contention for me. Uh, not that you can't do both, you can, but it, again, we go back to um, informed choice and um, the ethical aspects of this. Because uh, I know that in the UK, well, I know there's companies all over the world actually that are very, very keen to get their hands on the baby's cold blood. And they will describe this as a waste product, which historically it was, because if we were doing immediate core clamping, that blood actually went into the bin mm. um, instead of the baby or into the cold blood, um, cold blood banks. Um, uh, but this waste product is now being exploited. Um, and... You can read on the on the net the advertisements, and um, we have companies that say that the best it, it's where the baby um, where the parents are given the choice of donating the cord blood to save somebody else, or donating the cord blood and then um, putting it into a laboratory so that they can save it in case their child becomes ill in the future, and um, that they can use the stem cells that are in the um, in the cord blood to save their baby's life or save somebody else's life, which is a very attractive proposition. You know, we. Um, Thinking that, you know, you're delivering your baby and then you can save somebody else's life. Uh, I think some of the, the advertisements are say two lives in one day, give birth to a baby and save somebody's life. Uh, but they will advertise that the best, the biggest sample is best sample. What the parents aren't aware of, you know, they are happy to give the blood up to save somebody's life, but what they're not aware of most of the time is that they're actually preventing their baby receiving up to 30% of the blood that's intended for them. And I think that they have to think very carefully. And again, it's informed choice. Certainly in the UK, there's pressure. And I hear from people who write to me on my page to say that the women are all informed about cold blood donation and a lot of them sign up for it, but they're not informed about the benefits of optimal cold clamping. And that is wrong. You can do both. Like I say, on the graph, it shows that the baby's retrieved, has got most of the blood by two minutes. So if people want to do cold blood donation, you know, you can, after that, there's still blood around. And some companies, we've got a company in the UK that will do cold blood donation um, or salvage with optimal cold clamping, and they will take the blood from the placenta, but they are not widely advertised because obviously, again, the biggest sample is the best. And there are some unethical practices going on. I have had discussions with a company um, in Australia who say that which is difficult in Australia because there's no national guideline to say that one minute, the baby should receive one minute. You know, the national guidelines in, the, in Australia don't recommend delay call clamping of anything. So these companies exploit that by saying that the parents get informed choice. Well, again, like I say, that we know that the parents don't get informed choice and they are being encouraged to give away um, a, as large a sample as possible. And again, if the parents knew... And the company said, well, you know, um, the parents get informed choice, therefore we don't have any responsibility here. And I said, no, you have a massive responsibility and you're exploiting a loophole where you know that the parents aren't getting informed choice and that um, uh, they need to be more upfront about this because, again, we don't know what the long-term effects yeah, are. Yeah, so far-reaching yeah. ramifications, of course, of course. So we and spoke, I think, yeah, tell me. No, sorry, go on, go on, come. No, no, we spoke, we spoke earlier also about maybe, um, offering the listeners a quote or something that, um, that, and it's meaning to you or how you apply it in your life. I think, uh, you had a great one. Um, I think I was just saying, educate, parents, like I said, you know, delay core clumping, you know, it's been the case in the, in the past of thalidomide. We expect the professionals to know the best, but that's not always, always the case. And for parents that are having children, for anything really, um, 
to educate and research on absolutely everything. Um, I know bringing children up, I've done it myself, and they've both had um, difficulties, which makes it a harder maze for children to walk through, and parents, and to trust very much on their intuition and use instinctive parenting, because more often than not, we're right. Um, and that's, if I look back on myself, I would realise that, you know, even though people were telling me one thing, I knew another thing, and it was believing in myself and um, knowing that I knew my kids better than anybody else in the world. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a challenge, I think, for young mums out there because they do second-guess themselves because they're new at it and we do place ourselves where, you know, we put the expert on the pedestal. And um, But, yeah, I think more than half the guests interviewed on Mums the Word have said the same thing about, you know, women, um, women's intuition and mother's intuition or parents' intuition to trust that. And, um, I yeah, I also wanted to re- reiterate that as well. Um, maybe you could share a little bit about where where things have been a struggle, um, either personally or professionally, and and what you learned from that, and and what was the result? Oh, personally, I think it's other people's lack of knowledge that's very very frustrating. Um, both being in my personal life with the children, and in the professional life, knowing that I knew that we were doing something that was non evidence based. And I thought it would be really easy to change practice because that's what we do. We have a really good training. We're taught to identify things that are, that need changing, um, particularly if they're non-evidence based. And I thought, yep, that's not evidence based. We'll change it and it'll change overnight. But the resistance to has been phenomenal and it's been really, really hard. Um, and has resulted sometimes in mob mentality where people look at you and think, who do you think you are for chain, for, um, causing all this fuss and we, everything's perfectly as alright as it is. Um, it's just so but interesting very... because it doesn't cost them anything and it no. just seems like a no-brainer in a way. I don't know. It doesn't It doesn't challenge the or compromise the mother's uh, health. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost, it's bizarre. It's not looking at the bigger picture because if we are, if we are doing something that is affecting um, children to any degree, you know, it may not, but the evidence has shown that it probably did or probably does. Um it's looking at the bigger picture, you know, the health, global, it's that global health depends on this. And I think one of the things I realised earlier on, um, in this journey is that we're actually clamping and cutting the cords of parents, of two babies whose parents have had the core clamps and cut, and, you know, is there any accumulative effects over the generations? I think that the bigger picture with this is, um, it could be enormous, um, for global health and we need to stop doing it. Well, you touched on it as well when you said some of the, the allergies and the, um, yeah, just, you know, people on the spectrum and, and learning difficulties and, yeah, we don't know how far reaching it is. And, and I, I always come from the space of let's try and keep things as natural as possible. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. And I think, you know, that it, it, it's speculation, but, you know, we don't know what the evidence, there's a lot of evidence going on now. And I think that, you know, when the evidence does come out, we're going to think, crikey, we dropped a real clanger. Um, I I I'm not sure I really know what that means, but I, I can kind of get the clanger. gist though. <laughs> okay. Drop the clanger. <laughs> um, made a boo boo. Yeah, made a boo boo. Uh, Got, it. Got yeah. it. Um, and what's happening in the third world? Um, you know, with, with, uh, or even in the east with, with clamping. What are they doing in Asia, for example, or uh, in Africa? I, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm in touch with, um, Robin Lim, and she's a big advocate of, um, uh, of lotus birthing delayed optimal yeah. clumping. And you've also got Sarah Buckley, who's a consultant obstetrician, who's a big advocate of, um, 
Lotus Birth. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I did work in an area where there was a lot of African immigrants, and when they came over, and when I said that we were doing, you know, they were horrified. They said, what are you doing that for? Uh, and interestingly, in Somalia, they have very low late rates of autism, whether that's because of the detection rate. Um, but the, the, the Somalians that came over said that they'd never seen autism or didn't know what autism was. But in the States, autistic rates in Somalian children are through the roof. Um, I do know in, in India, um, I have colleagues that are working out in India and they say the um, ethical practice over there is really dodgy because they're, um, they're very into the core banking. And they they will pay parents for the baby's cold blood. Um, and when you've got cash-strap parents, that's a very interesting or a very exciting proposition. Um, so I do hear stories coming through of that. So globally, I'm not sure. We certainly seem to have the same problem um, worldwide because the other thing is with the UK being colonial, we exported bad practice. You know, we went over to help people and we took our practice with us. So I certainly know that in uh, South Africa, and Kenya babies will have an immediate poor clumping. Um, Kenya actually I worked there three years ago and they have a policy of three minutes and they say that, um, delayed poor clumping, it protects the carer from HIV because of the blood splatter. Cause if you do immediate core clumping, you've got a big juicy cord full of blood. Mm. Uh, you cut it immediately and the blood splatter is enormous. Um, so it protects the, um, the caregiver from HIV transmission, but also the, they get a third extra red blood cells, stem cells, and white cells. And the increase in white cells can actually prevent the baby getting um, infection, so it, it protects the baby from malaria in um, in these warmer spots. Yeah. 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 Um, and the stem cells, like I say, they're the building blocks for the rest of the baby's life, through the adult life. Uh, and taking a third of those away, you know, there must be some consequence somewhere down the line. If anybody wants any other information, there's a midwife in America who is absolutely fantastic and she recognised that immediate core clamping was wrong in the early 2000s and realised as a midwife in a very medical uh, model of obstetrician that she wasn't going to get practice change unless she took an academic route. And Judith Mercer has done a phenomenal amount of research, particularly on premature babies, um, to show that they benefit from um, delayed core clamping. But if anybody needs any... um, she did a paper in 2012 called Rethinking Placental Transfusion. And if anybody wants any more information, she really, it should be called Understanding Optimal Core Clamping because she covers every aspect. And she's a wonderful woman. She's really humble and um, determined. It's her life work to get this changed. Wow, yeah. great. Sounds like it's yours as well. <laughs> it certainly is. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what drives you? I mean, obviously... You, you've had to go against the grain a little bit with what you're doing, and uh, that's not so easy. Um, I don't think midwives have an easy route in general anyway. It's a little bit like chiropractic story. But what drives you and gets you up in the morning to do what you do, Amanda? I love being a midwife. I love working with people. Um, I I just have this massive passion for it. You know, it, I believe in it so much that we need to change it, and the sooner the better. Certainly the sooner the better because then I can be quiet about it. I have been asked to be quiet about the past. Um, and I think that, that I am quite a naughty midwife. And I also, um, asking me to be quiet about something that I'm passionate about and that, um, to, I, I don't believe in sweeping things under the carpet. You know, if this needs changing, it needs changing and it needs changing fast. And I don't quite know why I was asked to do the job or why it came to me. 
Uh, but I'm up for the challenge. And when I was asked to be quiet, I think within a month, I had a massive article in one of our tabloid papers and I set the petition up against NICE and the Facebook page. Um, because when they somebody asked with you, the wrong they, they certainly did. Yes, they did. <laughs> yeah, um, well, it just sounds like it's bigger than you at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think the amount of positive uh, feedback outweighs the negative feedback because it isn't rocket science. Um, it's very, very easy to see that this is something that doesn't, isn't necessary, that can be changed. And when the health of our children is at stake, you, you can't be quiet. You know, it, it would happen. I think we've done quite well. I think they say that it usually takes 25 years to change practice. And I've been at this 10 years. Judith Mills has been at it longer. But, you know, um, it is changing. We just need to keep that ball rolling. And Ulla Anderson, who's the researcher, said to me once, he said, it's like we're all pushing a snowball and the snowball's getting bigger and it doesn't matter who's pushing it, you know, you've joined on, Kaz, and your readers have joined on because we're all pushing it together and it's like dropping a pebble in a, a pond, the ripples spread. So we're all pushing this snowball, it's getting bigger and then eventually it'll go to the top and it'll be in free fall and all babies will get their full blood benefit. Oh, I love uh, that. I love that. Yeah, yeah the snowball nice. bit. Yeah, it's great. It is, and it doesn't matter who you are. You can be a top researcher or you can be, I've got friends that don't have children who are passionate about spreading this as well. Uh, I met somebody in the supermarket last night and um, he lived in our street years ago and he said, uh, I've had a baby and it got delayed core clumping. I think, yep, good on you. Oh, amazing, uh, amazing. So yeah. um, what's um, some of your invaluable resources? Uh, you've shared some amazing articles and, of course, I will put them in the show notes. But maybe there's a website um, or a book or something that you think that listeners should be li- – in, in relating to this topic, where should they go for more information? If there's, uh, we've, got a, we've got the Facebook page, which is um, Optimal Core Clumping and Stroke Full Blood Benefit. We're going to hopefully put Wait for White in there somewhere. Um, I met a student last year called Hannah Tizard who's been fantastic, and she's got um, a website where internationally people can request postcards, posters and stickers, little stickers that people can put on their birth plans. And her website is um, www. and it's blood to baby. That's blood to to baby dot com. And she's been fantastic. Um, uh, I have um, a Twitter handle, which is at optimal clamping, of course. Um, People can access, they can get in touch with me through the Facebook page or they can um, befriend me on Facebook by I'm Amanda Burley, um, and I will respond. Usually, it takes about three days. I do tours throughout the country, and I do hope to, in a, maybe next year, come over to Australia and do some education over there. Um, oh, we'd love to have you. We'd definitely love to have thank you. Thank you very much. Spread. I mean, you, then you really are actively spreading it around the world, <laughs> yeah, you know, physically yeah. as well. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's it's a very um, Oh, it's such a deep, raw topic. It's so important and it's precious, actually. So I'm just, yeah, I'm inspired by the work that you're doing, but also just really grateful that you said yes to this. Um, you know, you never know if you ask someone and, and it was just, it was really rewarding um, for me that you said yes to do this, um, to do this episode for Mum's the Word. Thank you so it's much. My yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for asking. Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Mums the Word. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and join us on our Facebook page to help us share the message to more mums all over the world. We look forward to having you join us again next time here on your trusted source for all mums everywhere, Mums the Word.
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.